Hi, everyone. This is your host, Christy Hemingway, and our sponsor today is Reading with Relevance. Reading with Relevance seamlessly unites academic and social-emotional learning, has been certified by the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning for its outstanding student outcomes, is aligned to Common Core and state standards, and is really easy to implement. Download your first free teacher's guide by visiting readingwithrelevance.org or by visiting readingwithrelevance at edcuration.com. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional movements, resources, tools, and practices that are reshaping learning. I'm dancing on the doorstep of history. And I'm demanding change. Like I just hit 10 jumpers in a row. Like we upgraded stages yeah. and on. we upgrading goals. Unprecedented times, that's a common line. But if millions are aligned on the grind, it's undeniable. undeniable. Money, money on my mind for the 99. With a unified design for getting mine on arrival, though. This is my time. This is more than just survival, though. More than just survival. It's a live revival, oh. Read to fight the side of fighters going viral, yo. I lost the march with the sauce certifiable. In a title bout, facing up arrivals. We the freshest hitting ways to go entitled. We found the light bulb, left behind the suffer floor. Now we lit in love more. It's how we break the cycle. Know what we about. Imagine stepping out with your crisp kicks on. Take a quick flick pause. In any given day, we making trends that shape laws. We the generation, everyone is a boss. Speak true to it, true, true to it. I got the power. That was the alter ego of our guest today, hip-hop artist Amen, known in the daytime as Mohan Sivaloganathan. And if you visit his LinkedIn profile, he is listed as a CEO, cultural entrepreneur, and troublemaker. Really, my identity is probably more aligned in reverse order. So probably troublemaker first, cultural entrepreneur, CEO. Got it. Uh, because I, the CEO title, honestly, it's it's one that I'm renting. You know, this, this is temporary. <laughs> you know, I'm, do, I'm doing my best with this title for now. Mm-hmm. Um, cultural entrepreneur is something that I've discovered over time. Troublemaker is something I've always been. You'll hear more about both Mohan's artistry and activism, both heavily focused on social justice and specifically education reform. I asked him where those passions came from. I started out innocent, smart with a wicked grin, mischievous, sitting in the corner for some punishment. For the fun of it, I interrupt discussions that get run out of the subjects that my peers were over suffering. I discovered that my mother wanted none of it. She put me in a timeout, but I still climb out, sneaking out of my house, meeting with the guys out. It starts with my parents. You know, my parents came to the country poor and wanting to make it, wanting to be a part of the American dream. And the only way they knew how was through work. You know, just you just work hard, you sacrifice, you go after opportunities. And what was incredible is that they didn't follow this traditional path of immigrants, you know, through, um, you know, corporate or business or, or technology being South Asian immigrants, but it was actually through service. My mom was a teacher and my dad found an opportunity with the U.S. government always game for opportunity, always game to find ways to support other people and to make their impact bigger than who they were within service. And my my dad, it culminated with this incredible achievement, literally at a global level um, with the U.S. government, um, representing the country that he just wanted to be a part of with the American dream. And then he wanted representing it as a diplomat. My mom wanted up being an internationally recognized teacher. And so like that, that idea of like what service can be in terms of unlocking your future was something that was always infused in me. 
Mohan's identities as immigrant, public service, and troublemaker eventually merged and have given birth to his work in the world, but not always without challenge. You know, I just have so many early memories growing up of, you know, being teased for for my skin color, for, you know, for my name, you know, like Indian and Sri Lankan heritage, all these things I didn't understand as a kid. And always whenever I'd, I'd speak up on something in class, whenever I might say something back to people, I just got described as a troublemaker over and over again. And I thought that was something that was wrong. So many systems are built to maintain a status quo. They're, you know, they're built to suppress voice and anything that feels disruptive and, and diversifying as necessary as it might be. Like trouble is necessary. Like trouble, trouble isn't this bad thing. Trouble is actually people voicing up. It's people sharing their story. Trouble is taking action when you're not supposed to. That is trouble. I started thinking, you know what, maybe I need to embrace this title of troublemaker. After making trouble in the corporate world for a number of years, Mohan followed his mother's footsteps into education, working with Teach for America to inspire and galvanize thousands of people to teach in some of the most disenfranchised communities across the country. What is it that excites me that that turns on my light bulb and, and gives me that fuel? And it was being in this work to disrupt the status quo, you know, to drive social justice, to get people off the sidelines. That thing for me growing up in so many ways, when we were bouncing around trying to find the American dream, like it was music. I'd been playing around with music for a long time. What if I could create music that could spark troublemaking? We had to shift hearts and minds and music is one of the most powerful levers to do it. So like, I just, I just leaned into that, um, where it's, you know, now kind of taking on this identity of, of what I call the Batman of social impacts, you know, like my Bruce Wayne side is like, I'm, I'm working to challenge systems and institutions by day. And then by night, I'm a hip hop artist. I use the power of music yeah. to lift voices and stories and, and action for, for troublemaking. You got into education and then you had always had this kind of persona or bent toward reform, right? Being a troublemaker as all trailblazers must be. But your ideas and your vision for educational reform, you have titled as the moonshot education reform. So tell us what does that mean and what does it entail? So for one, we know that there have been problems for generations. Like the data is clear, the stories are clear, right? We know that's the case. And billions upon billions of dollars have been poured into it, right? So it's not just as simple as like, we're just going to spend our way out of it. Like there has to be some rethinking. Thinking about this concept of a moonshot in education, I think it certainly starts with this vision of can we reimagine education in a way that the students who have carried the most unjust burden in the education system, Black students, Indigenous students, students of color, first generation, um, and then increasingly the the, um, the LGBTQ community, um, the low-income students, can they get to a point where they can thrive, where they have the resources and the equitable practices they need to be able to thrive? And in order for us to get to that moonshot vision, we also need a moonshot process to get there. And what that looks like is we need to shift power to students who have been just fundamentally disenfranchised in the education system. This, this is their education system. They are the customers. So why do we have adults yelling about it so much? Young people need to be at the center of the decision-making process. We need their stories to be told. We need their demands to be heeded. And then that should then influence what the teachers are doing, what the parents are doing, what the administrators are doing. So if you start with the students with that, that moonshot goal, then we have to start to think about how do we reimagine the role of the teachers in the classroom and, and give them the support that they need, give them the compassion 
that they need and the power they need to actually be there for those young people who are now being centered. And then let's galvanize the broader community um, around this vision. There's a role for parents, uh, an important role for parents. There is a role for the business community. There is a role for government. Um, there is a, a role for higher education and academia. Um, like I, I think the the vision that that we have at our turn, the vision that I have is that education justice will become the most important civil rights civil rights issue of our time. It's hard to imagine anyone with a keen eye on education disagreeing with anything about the vision that Mohan describes, but the challenge is always how to enact these changes. Our Turn was born in 2010 from the idea that young people deserve the opportunity to be heard and given influence in their own education. Mohan succeeded the founder as CEO of Our Turn in 2019, which led to some rethinking about how to enact Our Turn's mission. So it started with a, a distributed grassroots entrepreneurial model. You know, you had student chapters all over the country who are, you know, out there elevating the issues that they care about and then trying to find ways to be able to organize so that they can see some changes within their local districts. And what that started to evolve into was a model where we identified a few communities across the country where young people could build coalitions of other students, of adults, community organizations, and more to identify target issues that they care about and then to be able to organize so that they can get them across the finish line and see system level change. So that would happen from the issue organizing standpoint and then also electoral organizing. So trying to influence in particular school board races, just imagining, hey, what could happen if there were more school board members who really understood what young people care about and they built their policies and their platforms with that type of vision, with that type of ideology. And then students could then support them to be able to actually get into office, so to speak, and then to be partners after. Mohan and his team begin their leadership at Our Turn with some honest questions like, are we centering young people as holistically as we can? Are we centering racial equity as much as we should? These reflections cause them to move forward with a new multi-pronged approach. Now we employ what we consider to be a national local hybrid model, where at a local level, we continue to do issue organizing and electoral organizing with a longitudinal view. So we're doing that right now in L.A., Colorado, North Carolina and Georgia, starting to support some of that work in Texas as well. Uh, And it's not just about a single issue at this point. Like we're actually creating what we call student agendas, where young people come together and identify multiple issues that they care about in their local districts and local schools, which range from student decision-making to teacher effectiveness, mental health, funding, and more. And then that winds up guiding the practice and the organizing in those communities. That essentially forms the North Star. At a national level, you know, the, the realization is that the injustice in the education system is a 50-state problem, and therefore there needs to be a 50-state solution. Now, we don't believe that we need to be the ones who are in every single state. Like, our turn does not own this movement. We do not own this vision of young people leading the way for education justice being a civil rights uh, or the civil rights issue of the time, but we have a part to play in it. Organizing, equipping, and resourcing first young people and then other stakeholders for systemic change in education is the core of the work at our turn. And there are a number of ways they do that. So when you hear in the news about school board meetings that have gone crazy, the superintendents who are off, you know, making decisions, you know, on their own, or, you know, just these things that just feel very myopic and divorced from the reality of students. 
we're trying to reimagine that. So like, what if young people can actually so, show up in those settings? You know, and what if they feel like they are equipped with the capabilities and the power to be able to influence some change? So leadership development is a huge part of our work. And, and we've trained hundreds of young people over the past couple of years to be effective organizers all across the country. We also build national community and campaigns so that even if you're not in an our turn city or maybe you haven't been able to connect with another student organizing group in your backyard, there's probably something that our turn is working on a national level that you can be a part of. So in this past year, in response to the backlash with CRT, we created a campaign called Truth Ed, which was a student-driven, student-centered campaign that touched the entire country that elevated the cause of accurate, culturally inclusive history and curriculum in schools. There was storytelling, training, partnership development, organizing. You know, We were able to activate young people in more than 35 states across the country in this campaign. And then last but not least, there are some incredible superintendents and school board members and principals, philanthropists and other district leaders who are actually across the country saying, hey, like I'm raising my hand, like I I need help. Like I want to do student engagement. I want to be equity centered. Um, I want to reimagine my schools, but I'm trying to figure out how. Like I'm trying to figure out like what does the structure look like? And so that's another part of our national work is we're building a youth consultancy where we have students and staff members who are working with those education systems leaders to build those structures for student engagement and for equity. And, you know, we've done that in now in in New Mexico, in Tennessee, with cohorts of superintendents and school board members. And this is something I appreciate so much in working with young people day in, day out is like, they're not out here just trying to just draw battle lines and have enemies. Like, like, I think there's a real desire to be collaborative and to have this generosity of spirit in, in how they operate. And, and I think that's it's created just what feels like a really energizing model in how we could drive local and national impact. Yeah. So let me make sure I understand when you're talking about you've listed several different states that you're working with. And when you say we're working with them, you're working with those student chapters to support them and and equip them for the kind of activism and voice that you want them to have. And, or you're working with district level leaders and legislators, what happens with those student chapters? Yeah, so what what happens in in communities across the country is, you know, we'll have some core of young people who have raised their hand and said, okay, I want to drive change in the education system. And and I want to do that in, in partnership and in allyship with other young people like myself and others across the community. So what we'll do is we'll facilitate different processes to be able to recruit folks to be to be a part of that work and then to be able to gather up and to be able to define, all right, like what is the type of change we want to see in this community? So we, we call that like an issue selection process. Yeah, so they'll typically be gathering around a specific thing. It's not just like a club where they're like, hey, what should we be active about today? It's because they have a specific cause or a change that they're wanting to see. There's a specific cause or change that might have already been defined or one that they're going to define. So, for example, if you are in Colorado right now, we have something that we call the Colorado Student Agenda. So this is a platform that students already created to be able to define their vision for the reimagination of education in the state. And this is something that folks can then rally behind. You know, you can put that in front of a a high school student or college student and say, hey, do you believe in the Colorado Student Agenda? Do you want to be a part of making this real? come and join us, come and be a part of the coalition. And here's some campaigns we're running that are designed to be able to, to actually manifest the Colorado student agenda. In a place like Atlanta, for example, or North Carolina, where we have pretty active coalitions right now, we're actually developing their local student agendas. 
So you might come in and say, all right, yeah, I want to be a part of this club. I want to be a part of this chapter. I care about education. I care about change making. All right, great. Come to this meeting that's coming up, this town hall, this focus group, because we're going to design the student agenda here and your voice needs to be heard as a part of that. So once the student agenda is in place, then we start to think about how do we operationalize it? And it it depends on the community. So for some communities, we might say, we're going to start putting this in front of school board members Mm -hmm. and we're going to hold them accountable to signing on to the student agenda and committing to bringing it to life in some shape or form. If they're in office, let's say, if, you know, post-election within 90 days, we want to see something in the student agenda come to life. Okay. So you can't just run on this. Like you actually need to do something with it. In other places, we might say, all right, hey, you know, there's there's this issue around teacher recruitment and retention that we care about that's identified in the student agenda. And this district has a certain amount of money in their budget through, you know, let's say like ESSER funds. Let's go and organize with this, towards the superintendent, towards the school board to ensure that money is allocated in a way that we have trust and belief in it when it comes to that issue of teacher, teacher recruitment and retention. It could be a whole host of other issues. So it kind of depends on like, what is that point when a student or a young person might join and participate? But yeah, it, I think what we've really heard from young people is this desire to to actualize their their demands, you know, to, yeah. to be able to do something with it, not just to be able to talk about everything that's wrong, like that needs to be heard. There needs to be proximity to that, but they want to bring change to life. We hear that time and time again. And so like that, that, that form of action matters a lot to us. If you're looking for a way to structure and facilitate conversations in your classroom about the tough topics that matter to kids in ways that are safe, productive, and community building, today's sponsor, Reading with Relevance, is the place to start. This is Lacey Asbill, the co-founder and creator of Reading with Relevance, and we're proud to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. At Reading with Relevance, we're passionate about using diverse books to foster students' academic and social-emotional skills. Our teaching and learning materials inspire students to read deeply, think critically, talk openly, and write reflectively about topics that really matter. You too can offer your students a literacy experience that fosters identity, agency, and belonging while building reading, writing, and critical thinking skills. Join us in bringing relevant reading to the young people you serve each day. You can find Reading with Relevance at edcuration.com and try it out with your students at no cost with a free teaching guide for your first book study. I'm so intrigued now because I'm in Colorado and I'm wondering, do you do you know off the top of your head what's on the student agenda in Colorado? Yeah, so the Colorado student agenda, so this was put together last summer. And this was, you know, dozens upon dozens of young people, predominantly students of color who came together to be able to design it. Okay. Um, it has five parts to it. Um, okay. So it's in no particular order supporting student mental health, number one. Number two, justice for marginalized students understanding that the education system has has you know perpetuated these institutionalized inequities for generations and so there are many different things within the education system we have to address there number 3 improving post graduation pathway support mm. number 4 creating student centered school culture and five full and equitable funding wow. um, and so, yeah i mean it's it's something that it's it's comprehensive it provides a roadmap in some cases it's prescriptive and the first thing that we did with the Colorado student agenda was of course put that in front of more students mm-hmm. you know build that affirmation and credibility and then so the step from there was you know Denver had some pretty high profile school board elections last year 
And we said, all right, you know, it doesn't matter where you're coming from as school board member. What matters is that you are aligned with the student agenda. So we reached out to every single candidate to put the agenda in front of them and said, like, we want to talk to you about it. We want to educate you on it. And we want your commitment to, to bring it to life. And nearly every candidate who is running for office, you know, they agreed to that meeting and then agreed to the student agenda down the line with that commitment that they would work on it within their first 90 days. And this, you know, and that included some folks who won their races, some folks who did not win their races. But I think it positions students really well at those tables of power and influence after the election, which is typically when those community stakeholders are forgotten and left behind, right? Because it's like, all right, I've got your vote. I'm good. I'm going to move on. I'll see you in a couple of years. But they couldn't do that anymore because now we have them on the record, <laughs> right? It's yeah. it's public record now that here's a Colorado student agenda. You said you're on board and you said you're going to do something on it. So we're going to be following up. And so then that's what gave rise to this school board watch that we're that we're doing now in Denver specifically. Yes, here's the here's a student agenda. We're going to take a look at what school board members are actually doing, what the superintendent's actually doing. And, you know, we're going to show you love if you're bringing it to life. And, you know, we might do the opposite if you're doing the opposite. If you're not. And, you know, that that agenda is impressive. So it kind of responds to those adult fears of like, if we start putting student voice at the forefront and finding out what matters to those students, what are they going to say? And what if what matters to them doesn't align with what matters with us? Right. So. To hear that agenda, that's impressive. What are is is that sort of representative? Are those the typical themes, or does it just is it all over the board about what students are bringing to the forefront as the things that matter to them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think to first maybe to like the the initial point that you raised. You know, I think that there's this this cynical view, right, of like what might young people say, right? You know, what might they do, and and you know, what is this going to mean for me? I think. Really, where we want to spend more time and energy is is the reality, the the true, pure reality that typically when adults are hearing from young people on what they're experiencing in school, the aspirations for their own future, the aspirations for their community, people are inspired by that. And like our country is in such desperate need of that form of aspiration right now. And I think we truly believe and we see it that the folks who are best positioned to be breakthrough messengers for a more aspirational future, for one that is motivational, that takes us to a moonshot, it's young people. You know, it's not the pundits, right? It's it's not white papers and polls and, and all these other things that we get caught up in. No, it's actually centering young people. There is something that can be more hopeful and joyful in the education system. And, and I think that's why we've been able to galvanize so much support and and collaboration from so many different institutions is because they've taken the time to hear from what young people, uh, hear from young people and what they have to say. And they can't help but be motivated and to be inspired. And now, you know, over to the student agenda, I think from what you heard on the Colorado student agenda, there's certainly a lot of similarity. You know, we have also a national student agenda. This is something that was formed by young people across the country uh, about two years ago towards the beginning of the pandemic because we knew, hey, the education system's experiencing an unprecedented upheaval. So what would an unprecedented reimagination look like? Um, and that speaks to accountability and student-centered decision-making and engagement processes, or as we call it, nothing about us without us. 
It's about rethinking school culture. It's about bringing justice into schools. It's about mental health and it's about funding. Now, within those different categories, there are a number of sub recommendations, um, and I think that's where you tend to see the most differentiation from one community to another. You know, because their their funding context might be different, their school population might be different. Um, so, so there, there's some difference here and there. But you know, we wanted the, the student agenda to form this north star. You know, that, that something that we can take into just about every community, and that people would be able to find some connection with. Mohan, I'm wondering if for for our listeners, if you can give us sort of a picture of maybe your favorite success story that could, can serve as kind of an exemplar for us or a case study of where this is being done really well. As an example, in North Carolina, North Carolina, we've been doing work at a state level and in Charlotte specifically for several years and specifically related to the credit recovery program. One campaign that came from that work a couple of years ago was an effort that we call One State, One Rate to be able to extend in-state tuition to undocumented students across the state. And so North Carolina is one of uh, roughly half of the country in terms of states that does not do that right now. Mm-hmm. There are so many reasons why uh, why policymakers, why education leaders should ensure that in-state tuition is offered to undocumented students. There are economic reasons. There are um, there are culture-related reasons, community reasons. I mean, there, there are a number of things that are out there. And yet, you know, the, for a long time, you know, going back to multiple years, you know, folks wouldn't even pick up the phone when students would reach out. You know, they wouldn't pick up the phone. But we were hearing from students so much, especially from undocumented students and students of color and allies that, hey, like this is something that is absolutely necessary. We have to be looking out for these young people who are the future of the state. Uh, like you can't leave them behind. You can't push them to the side because of some ideology. So what young people did is is they pers- persisted. They continued to reach out. They continued to do storytelling on why this issue matters. They they published information. They were active on social media. They started to land some meetings. And then then they started to have folks who, you know, went from being resistant sitting across the table with their arms folded to starting to lean forward, to starting to request information, to sharing empathy, to sharing compassion. Then we started to see that other influencers across the state started using the language that young people were using on this campaign in order to be able to justify why the state needs to care about undocumented students within higher education and why this is an economic and, and beyond imperative in the state. But that's turned into over the past couple of months is we've been able to secure multiple Republican co-sponsors of a bill that was drafted by students to be able to extend in-state tuition to undocumented students. To be able to do that in a state that it requires Republican support to get anything through, any, anything through from a legislative standpoint, in a climate where everybody across the country is talking about political polarization. I mean, we're not a partisan organization, but you know, it could be perceived in that way. Like young people are showing that that they are breakthrough change makers. That even when it feels like change isn't possible, that if you center what young people have to say and their vision, and then if you follow them on that journey and you support them, actually we can get things done. And now what we're working towards is this hope that in 2023 it can be passed into law. And and then North Carolina will will get into the right side of history. And this is something that will positively affect generations of students in the state. Yeah. Like it will be forever tra- transformed and changed as a result of this type of legislation. And it has happened because of the persistence and the authenticity, the compassion, the ingenuity of young people. Uh, and you know, I think that's the type of blueprint that we want to be able to take across the country. And and you know, to my prior point, you know, it's you can't help but be inspired. 
you yeah. know, when you see things like that happen, when there's so much dismay and this lack of hope in the political system, I don't feel that. Personally, I do not feel that at all because I see situations like this. You know, I, mean, I see like this. I'm incredibly inspired listening to you talk about it because I I know that my own children and their friends and kind of their friend group does have this sense of dismay about um, a couple of them didn't even vote this week because they just they really do feel like their voice doesn't matter. And your whole mission and battle cry is that, yes, it does. And and you have the proof <laughs> of how our young people's voices can matter and do matter and the difference that they can make. It's about showing up. We've heard from so many, so many young leaders about the way that they've grown in their sense of agency and, and self-actualization, like their sense of their own power, you know, with their voice and story, the the networks that they've built, the connections that they've built, these lifelong allies that they have now, and also this greater understanding of what it takes to affect change for the long run. Uh, and so I'm I'm fully convinced that so many of our our return alumni they're going to go on to to public office. They're going to be corporate CEOs. Hopefully, one of them will have my job one day. And this is already happening. You know, former our return staff members and alumni are already doing incredible work in national advocacy organizations. You know, on on presidential campaigns, on Senate campaigns, and and so many things in between. Yeah, this pervasive sense of despair and powerlessness can actually just be a cop out. Right. So but I love that you start by saying, even if if a young person is in that place of saying, OK, well, imagine then that you could make a difference. What would be the thing that you'd want to make a difference in? What are the things that matter to you? How can you prioritize them and then empower them to actually move forward on those issues? It gives gives us all hope, I think. One of the things that you also work on is this creating public and private partnerships for mm-hmm. schools to help them to get inroads into making these changes. Describe an example of that. Yeah. Well, I, I think one example that comes to mind for me immediately is just, just given my my personal career background is, you know, I worked at citizen schools for, for some time in, in Newark specifically. And you know, a part of that model is being able to activate the business community to come to school, you know, one or multiple times a week and teach apprenticeships. And like, it just has this remarkable effect on young people. And this is for middle school specifically of, of opening their eyes to possibility, you know, to be able to tap different parts of their brain that they typically wouldn't. And also to just know that there's another adult out there who cares about them, who believes in them. You know, I, I actually taught one of those apprenticeships in collaboration with with a uh, a leader from Cognizant. And what we did is we did this apprenticeship across the semester on what we call the business side of basketball. You know, we focused on the NBA, but we talked about like, what does it mean essentially to be a general manager? You know, thinking about finance and staffing, organizational culture, marketing, communications, and like the way that young people just like lit up going through this process, like seeing the transformation of like, like I remember like, you know, one young man in particular who I think it was my first week teaching this apprenticeship. He like, I remember seeing him in the library, literally flipping over tables and chairs. I don't know what he was upset about, but he was pretty upset to two weeks after that, he was talking about the ROI on brand management investments. And it's like, yeah, this, yes, this is the same person. Like we just had to find a way, different way to be able to access and, and connect with him. And, and so I think like to this notion of public, public, private partnerships, 
there is so much that the business community and individuals and investors can be doing to be able to fuel this reimagination of education and this moonshot goal, showing up as mentors, showing up as tutors and coaches, making financial investments into certainly schools and school districts, but also into the organizations that are supporting those districts to be able to provide additional services. You know, I, I think if if you look at, you know, so much of the data across the country right now, you know, NAEP results and beyond, oftentimes you see this massive disconnect when it comes to resource access. But the business community and, and you know, again, like overall private institutions have such a, a remarkable opportunity to bridge that gap, help young people to have access to college counseling, to financial literacy, to STEM programs, to arts, to culture, if we can do that and supplement what's already happening in the school, like it could, it could be transformative. It takes so long in education for us to wake up to this idea that like, we're in charge. We're the committee. Mm-hmm. We, get to, we, we get to make those decisions and we can change things that aren't working. And I feel like teachers especially have so long been in this place of like, I'm just a victim of the system. This is the way it is. And I have to work within it. No, you don't. You absolutely do not have to. Right. And I think then that's and it's our job to give teachers that platform and that pathway to then actualize their visions for what it should be. Right. And give them that room, give them the tools. Same thing for students. Okay. We hear you right? We hear you, we feel you. How can we help you to do something about it? Right. And I, th- I think that's our job. And, and, I, and I think that you hit the nail on the head. You know, one of the, the biggest things I have learned, and I'm continuing to, to try and unpack for myself in this role, is that notion like, no, things don't have to be that way. There have been so many instances where young people will say like, but, but why? Like, why do we have to do it that way? Why do, we, why do we have to build that way? Why do we have to message that way? Why do we have to say that this is the only pathway when there's actually maybe this or maybe this? And yeah, and, and like we need that agitation, right? We need yeah. those those challenges to confront like this wiring that has brought us to to this place of oftentimes complacency yeah. and and a status quo and a status quo within a system that is broken. Like we need to deconstruct all of that. We do. It, it's you're reminding me of that that kind of folk legend about the ham. And the woman who always cut off the ends of the ham. And then finally, one day, one of the kids was like, why do we always cut off the ends of the ham? She's like, I don't know. My my mom did it. I don't know. My mom did it. I don't know. My grandma did it. And it went all the way back to like the great, 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 great grandma had a small pan. Like my pan was only this big. Mm. So she always cut off the ends. Right. But yeah. <laughs> but now it's like six, <laughs> seven generations later, we're still cutting off the ends. I we haven't that. had that pan for seven generations. I love that. You know, being... Yeah. Um, you know, Sri Lankan, you know, son of immigrants. My my wife is North Indian, daughter of of immigrants. There's so many things in South Asian culture where we're just like, wait, why? 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 Why, <laughs> why, why do we do that? You know, why are you saying that like cold water is bad in this instance? Like, I don't get <laughs> like yeah. these random these yeah. random things that have been passed for generations, and it's just always held to be true, right? And, and there was a reason, right? Like there was a reason at oh, that moment in time, but yeah, that, yeah it's it's no longer relevant in any way. I want to pivot and talk about your music for a minute. How does your music and your role as a hip hop artist play? What role does that play in your advocacy work? Music is is one of those things that it gets mapped to this, like this journey, the soundtrack of your life. Some of the most important moments that you've experienced, especially like in those formative years, you know, middle school, high school, college, 
those few years after, you know, when you get married, you know, you know, things like that. And um, because it just has this ability to touch you emotionally, you know, like, I think like there was like this, like this cycle, this fire that was growing in me as I dug deeper and deeper into the realm of, of movement building and social justice. And I just wanted more. I was like, I'm, I'm activating a few hundred people right now in this context. What would a few thousand look like? You know, what would tens of thousands look like? How can I, how can I get there? And, and music is one of those methods, you know, it's, it's one of those channels. And so I thought, all right, like, I want to start repurposing the music I'm making to, to be troublemaker hip hop, to, to be music that could be the soundtrack for our lives right now. You know, like I think to, to take a line from Kendrick Lamar, you know, my, my approach is not to be on the outside looking in or the inside looking out, but being in the dead center, looking around. I've performed with the World Economic Forum out in Geneva. I've performed with NYU and Stanford and Penn State with nonprofit organizations um, at traditional music venues like the Nurican Poets Cafe in NYC. It's taken me to so many different places. It's like 2016, I had a performance and a talk one week after the election. And this was with a group of, of 100 young change makers in DC that I performed a song called Our Time. And um, afterwards, I remember multiple people coming up to me and saying, hey, like, I was ready to quit nonprofit work. I was ready to quit politics, but I found my fire again. And thank you. Section is the case. Haters get a put no potential in my window. You're my motivation. Feel the records break and rich a poor in equation. I'm pouring out my soul like whoa, yo, I made it. It's our time and we made it through all the It's not me personally, it's it's the power of fusing music with the right messages, with the right movement building capacity. And that could lift people in ways that like you would never expect. You know, you look at what's happened over the past few years and so much of the incredible social activism that has happened, like the remarkable transformation that's happened in so many different spaces, so many different cause areas. You know, like I, I want to play some role in in just just continuing to drive that. So talk to um, the educator at all different levels, you know, the, the district administrator, the site level administrator, the instructional coach, all, you know, the teachers who are hearing this and saying, what are my to do's? What are my first steps? How do I get involved? I'd say the first step is to take a look at how far are you in your journey when it comes to student engagement? Like, do you truly know what students are experiencing right now? Do you have a method for capturing that information? Do you have a method for doing something with that information? If the answer to all of that is yes, then I'd love to hear your case studies because we want to share that across the country. For the folks where it's a maybe or it's a no, then reach out to us. It's ourturn.org, I-T-S-O-U-R-T-U-R-N.org. You know, we'd love to collaborate. You know, we'd love to be able to share whatever knowledge we've been able to build, um, case studies, best practices, or even forge a partnership. You know, and we can work together. You're you're not alone. It's okay if you don't have it all together right now. Nobody has it all together right now. It should be done in collaboration with young people, and and we'd love to help you to do that. This is that. Wait a minute. No, they didn't. Yes, they did. Golden pursuit for the old and the youth. Only one. Now it's two. Now it's you. Then it's true. Light the fires. Like woo. You can find links for Our Turn and their resources for schools 
for the music of Amen and the work of Mohan Sivaloganathan in the episode notes. And while you're all fired up about equity, activism, and cultural relevance in education, you're also going to want to click the link for today's sponsor, Reading with Relevance. Here's what Jahari Wheatley, a sophomore at Contra Costa Community School, had to say. Before using Reading with Relevance, I thought school was boring and had nothing to do with my life. But when we started the books I could finally relate to, it caught my attention and I started paying more attention in class, completing my assignments and getting better grades because I was participating more. This program and the books we've read are better than any other books I have read before in school because my classmates and I can relate to them. Find Reading with Relevance at edcuration.com and try it out with your students at no cost and no risk with a free teaching guide. Thanks for joining us. If you like this episode, please follow us, leave us a comment, share, and join us again next week to reshape learning with the Ed Curation Podcast. And soon, you'll illuminate more than your darkness. It'll grow into a flame that lights the faces around you. It'll grow into a wildfire, an inferno, a movement. That fuel I'm talking about, it's called love. So if you're with me, I need you to just clap like this. Come on, 